has now been said, it's about sex and scholarship in a jokey way. And he's scholarly, scholarly about sex and sexual about scholarship. Um, he's read up on sex. I thought this was just the only way to make it funny, to make actually carnal rather than erotic sex funny, uh, rather than boring or disgusting or whatever. Hello listeners, old and new. Welcome back to My Martin Amis. Very pleased to be joined by the first female guest on the series, Zoe Strimple, gender historian, author and columnist. Zoe, thank you for joining me. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You being the first female guest disrupts what has been up until this point very much a wiener fest. And I wondered whether we could just start by addressing that fact. Yeah, I mean, funnily enough, although English literature was quite a sort of female dominated subject, it still is a bit of a sausage fest when you get down to the serious cult following of authors, which I find slightly irritating to say the least. But, you know, it's the same way with chefs. It's the same way with other things where, where women are actually very important players. But for some reason, there's a sort of impulse to be a cult follower among among men, I think, that you don't necessarily see among women, although perhaps, uh, perhaps I could think of some female authors where that clearly would refute that. But something like an Amos, is, who has such a powerful male voice, autobiographical and otherwise, is always going to kind of pull in men. Not only that, but what pulled me in should really go beyond gender, the sheer craft and cleverness and tightness of his interestingness and creativity of his writing. So in having a style that's as clever and satisfying and creative as his, the fact that he's rendering male experience into this prose makes it a joy to read. It doesn't matter that it is obviously has playful and non-playful misogynistic overtones. This is brilliant writing and and therefore anything that gets treatment by brilliant writing should be regarded by women and men as being worth taking time over. I'm not sure men indulge in female narratives. That What are the strong female voices that men read? I grew up reading Amos and Philip Roth and people like that. I mean, to me, those those kind of highly horny male voices were sort of totally part of the package of what I assumed was sort of fun contemporary literature. So yeah, and serious contemporary literature. I, I, I genuinely don't remember as a young woman thinking about it in this kind of personal, wounded, grievance way that now women probably are encouraged to think about reading Amos. Because, you know, there's a lot of crude sexism in there, but it's clever. I don't think it is as crude as it appears. But your career as a gender historian, I think, reflects the fact that you've always wanted to understand the inner workings and psychological wiring of the sexism really get deep into that subject. I mean, one of the books that you've written, published in 2010, is called What the Hell Is He Thinking? All the questions you've ever asked about men answered. I should say right out of the gate here that we're going to be talking about the Rachel Papers, Martin Amos's first novel, and one that is very revealing in many respects, both of him as a novelist, but also of his treatment of sex, sexuality, and the subject of women. But you write that the kind of man that Amos was and the kind of man he wrote doesn't appear to exist anymore and you feel that that's a pity. I wrote What the Hell Is He Thinking? All the questions you have about men answered long before I became a gender scholar. So at that point I was just indulging a curiosity to bridge the male-female divide through the simple device of language which was something that yes I felt that one could also access through novels and the male voice 
Um, and if you had an open mind, you could enjoy it and find it kind of interesting and not offensive. Obviously, as I said before, this has all changed now. Yes, and then as I grew up and started writing a dating column and a lot of my writing and, and thinking and career was slightly motivated by the teenage angst I had experienced in not getting guys, so to speak, which preoccupied me a great deal. I took a kind of, you could say, perverse reassurance maybe in the fact that apparently there were all these horny men out there and that no doubt one of them would cross paths with me at some point. But I also knew that I was very unlikely to encounter one as incredibly intelligent as Martin Amos or his creations, which I'm, I'm not sure I always distinguish between that much. I mean, I, from quite soon after reading London Fields, developed a, a huge crush on him. But that was, the way, that was the way I operated in those days, very quick to develop a crush. Leonardo DiCaprio also got that treatment. And I remember kind of Googling his wife, Isabel Fonseca, and thinking, oh, you know, it'd be so amazing to be married to such a genius wordsmith. And I found Martin Amos way sexier than Philip Roth, for instance, even though Philip Roth's depiction of sex and male desire is also incredibly compelling. Well, what was it about Martin Amos that you found so sexy? Actually, I think he just looks quite sexy, or he did, sorry. But also, I found he was inventive with language in ways that I just was not coming across elsewhere. It's very rare to find someone who takes risks and is inventive and who can deliver, you know, who's actually keeping it rock solid, watertight, whatever phrase you want to use. Whereas I think now you, you just get so much, I don't know about now or then, I mean, it's always been a problem, like you modernism or whatever, formally experimental, deeply pretentious. Um, and, and I just found like the whole conceit of London Fields fascinating. I found John Self and uh, Money fascinating, just like, like, oh, right, you know, the, the obsession with the teeth. And I just, I just delighted me. And, and yeah, Amos, you know, he's just, I just fancy the Amoses. I also love Kingsley. I mean, I, you know, I... Fancied Kingsley? No, I, well, I read Kingsley much later. I, Kingsley was always too old, you know, but the fact like Kingsley begat Martin and they both had these phenomenal facility with language mm. and thinking and I thought probably quite a kind of intelligent grasp onto the world, which is obviously attractive. Um, did it boil down to his ability to make you laugh or did it go way beyond his comic flair? Women can be absolutely hysterical. I'm not, I'm not one of these women that's like, oh, it's amazing to encounter someone who's a funny man because men are so hilarious. Like some men are funny. A lot of women are much funnier, including in literature. But um, he, yeah, I mean, he, he was funny, but that it was, I've always liked clever language but that has to be rigorous. Like you can tell Amos read the canon. He knew his Shakespeare. He knew his revenge tragedy. He knew everything, mm. which is what goes into the kind of prose style that I admire. And he obviously had that to the point that it freed him up to be really playful. For me, the power of description is what makes me admire prose. So it's not funny. Like anyone can be funny, but it was just the sort of, it's the sheer, I don't know, his names, Marmaduke and, kind of unrelenting descriptions that are just that capture the sheer base experience of a young dirty teenager um you know i, I don't know just the, the, it's not everyone even remotely has amos's descriptive ability and and yeah for me the pleasure often lay in that the rachel papers amos's first novel published in 1973, winner of the 1974 Somerset Morgan Award for best novel written by an author under the age of 35 
rereading it myself, I found that Charles Highway and Martin Amis seemed so much more fused than I realized when I first read it, aged about 17, about the same age or perhaps a bit younger than Charles Highway is in the book. Can you remember when you first read it? Or when you first read Amos, actually? Yeah, I know when I first read Amos, it was in when I was an undergraduate, and I think I was even in my third year doing English at Cambridge. And it was, I think, for a 1970 to the present paper, which my director of studies was very scathing about as a paper and thought it wasn't really... It was an aberration of, of modern lax standards, and I should have been doing the English moralists and stuff. So I think that must have been 2000 and when I was, yeah, like 21 or something. And it was London Fields. That was my first book. Actually, some of the other girls on my English course had, had read London Fields and loved it. So to me, it was like we were all girls, women. Uh, eventually, there was one guy. But um, I came to Amos and London Fields to none other than a girl called Sarah Price, who is now a happy mother of two somewhere. Anyway, so, so you know, it, was, it, was, it wasn't at all something that, like, I was this not seeking out this man's man author. It was just these books came to me and to us. Like, it wasn't weird that, you know, I'd read Roth. My mother read Philip Roth. I yeah. don't know. We just, so... And through a circle of female peers as well. Exactly. The last it's episode, a... we tackled London Fields, me and Janan Ganesh, and in that, we spoke about the character Nicola Six, which we will have to get onto. Yeah, because... Nicola Six was, she was fascinating to me. No, I think Amos, he didn't want a realistic woman, but he, he created a cipher that was, you know, part of a general plot that was a cipher, like a kind of puzzle he captured her kind of the death drive and the sex drive and beauty all kind of coalesce for me that's what Nicholas Six the kind of dangerous glamour of, of beauty and murder and crime and London and Amos's ev evocations of London are absolutely fantastic and mm. every time I I mean there's a very particular frustrating grimy horribleness sometimes an inconvenience to London I think in the information that's very good obviously London Fields I think in London Fields he describes a kind of low nuclear sun that London has produces like in the winter when that sun is always at the level of your eyes and it's just boring into you um, and I always feel that I get you're, you're on the bus and it, no matter where you sit like the sun is it's like winter so you're not getting any real warmth you're just getting this horrible nuclear sun kind of coming at your eyes and your black clothes making you kind of ear it's horrible and and that to me like yeah Amos completely gave me the vocab for that one when it comes again to this character of Nicholas Six I think we should just get this out of the way there's a confidence when you speak to his male readers about the extent to which they imagine women reading this novel would see Nicholas Six as anything but a male fantasy what a weird interpretation of her purpose that she's supposed to be this like normal you know what like a George Eliot character or something I, I don't really understand why you wouldn't just take her in her own terms and in Amos's own terms like clearly she is supposed to be a male fantasy and a cipher and what's interesting about her is that she knows she is and that's how she deploys her plans so I, I really I'm bewildered by people who would complain that Nicola Six doesn't give them like a full rounded plausible female character no I, I mean what is John Self a kind of fully rounded plausible male character is Keith Talon, a fully rounded man. I mean, I don't understand what... Funnily enough, I think that these characters you mentioned, Talon, Self, Clinch even, they actually do seem more plausible. But it's quite, it's quite honest. I mean, he's portraying Nicholas Six from the perspective of the men who kind of... Well, she, But he also tries to get, you know, the way she, you know, observes the men ogling her as she walks across a, a room or whatever. But mm. I, I, to me, London Fields is like a fantastic, genius novel. I really don't see... It's just so bizarre to me that someone would complain that the female character isn't 
well-rounded enough. Well-rounded or that she actually clogs the novel. Oh, interesting. Janan thought if she clogs, yeah, yeah. she gets I would, in the I way. I would have loved to both be on, a, on, on this episode. Yeah. They probably read it too old when they were they themselves were clogged with all sorts of fancy ideas about gender and novels. Whereas if you read it as a 21-year-old, you can just enjoy it and not get cluttered up by things like that. In your piece for The Spectator, you wrote, quote, Amos's novels served as a kind of sexual, sentimental education for me. They offered a shocking and exciting insight into how young men saw women and the other men around them and gave me the distinct impression that being the object of a man's lust could confer both total intoxicating power over him and everything around him and the possibility of its opposite the most grotesque denigration. Yeah, I mean, as I said before, I was pretty frustrated with my romantic situation in my teens. Um, Isn't everyone? No, not to the extent that I was. I think I think other people get girlfriends and boyfriends. And I just had these crushes. This, this problem of reciprocity was just like this constant vexation. Like how... How do I get Travis or Peter or Will or Alex to like, I like them. I'm really into them. I'm obsessed with them. But they are, They just don't see me in that way. And why is that? And You know, because I don't know. So I think to me, I sort of fetishized the idea of having that power because I felt so incredibly powerless over my abilities to make the boys that I liked like me I just didn't there was just no mutual I just didn't understand how that could happen so it was really fascinating to me to discover that at least in fiction maybe as a you know document of reality there was a world in which like the boys wouldn't be so picky they would just take what they could get if someone was interested in them they'd they'd go there like sex would drive them to like you know and I've never been like I've never been particularly picky about circumstance. Like to me, it, was, it would have been enough to just kiss one of them once, you know, I, even if they were drunk. Like it, I wasn't like, oh, I need them to fall in love with me, even though that would have been ideal. You know, it was just sort of like, could that sort of system of sexual obsession and horniness that apparently young men were driven by be used to my advantage with, um, instead of just like the gross men on the street that are always up for like a... A leer. But so, a, lot of, a lot of Amos's characters are those gross men on the street. Yes, that's true. That's true. I think I found, I think at that point I was also devoted. So that just, that's like the personal underpinning to why I was interested in male kind of desire and stuff. But I think there was, I was already perhaps as a distancing device or whatever, already developing a bit of an anthropological interest in it. So, you know, I, I thought, well, I'm interested in the whole landscape of male lechery because actually I have no real negative experience with it. So it's it's kind of an open field for me. I don't feel like it doesn't trigger me or something. I mean, apart from a few disgusting experiences with people on the street, I, I did, certainly didn't feel that male lust had posed a threat to me as a young woman. So I was interested in it. I was also interested in anything that appeared to equal my own intensity of feeling but of course at that point in my teens I didn't really have any clue about sex to be honest that's not really where I was going with my obsessions it was just more like I think my dream was like a makeout session you know so I was, I was altogether more innocent personally um, and probably in not being a teenage boy I was just less driven by 
actual sexual intercourse but i did have this kind of like persistent thinking about it all the time sort of thing which a lot of teenage girls do i mean that's literally all all teenage girls talk about so it wasn't like i was that weird but i think i was quite weird in having so little success getting anywhere with it so yeah so i think i just that just opened the way to me being personally kind of interested in what i could find out about uh male lust but i think i also had this idea there was an element maybe of like hate reading, you know, like hate scrolling or doom reading in the sense that I think from quite early on, I mean, by the way, I was like quite a pretty girl, a teenager, I would say of normal weight, although I wasn't skinny, but in those days, eighties, nineties, well, the nineties, it was like not really good enough to not be skinny or like have an amazing knockout body, especially at the school I went to. Where did you grow up? I grew up partly in the U.S. and partly when I was 16, I came back over here to a school called Beedells, which uh, is famous. Um, a lot of celebrities go yep. and went there. And um, so th- so I think I just really developed this idea that like I didn't have it. I wasn't like I didn't have typical enough looks. So that was what was holding me back. Like, so you experienced this teenage angst on yeah, both like sides my- of the pond. Did it intensify after the age of 16 uh, in the U.K.? It was more just that Beedells was full of these absurdly beautiful young women. I mean, they, I, I look back at photos now and I'm like, oh my God, you know, of course I couldn't compete with that. So it really made me think, okay, what are men, like boys and men are looking for a thin, 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 thin. That was, that was kind of what I, you know, if only I can be thin. I'm like, of course, I mean, for better or for worse, I like food too much to ever have taken that. Like uh, that always trumped my uh, desire to be thin. Um, you know, how do you actually give up on biscuits? Impossible. But so I think like I was reading Amos and stuff for these quite harsh, but like fully realized descriptions of desirable female bodies and flawed female bodies. Clearly you met Keith Talent and Guy Clinch and even Nicola Six before you met Charles Highway. I did, But when you met Charles Highway, were you already over this phase of your life? Had you already matured into somebody who felt much more at ease with no, themselves absolutely not no i think I, I i read it in my 20s and um the grossness in some ways of like male horniness is captured really well by a charles highway i mean the, the amos never it's always self-loathing always and as a woman reading it you're also like oh god glad i'm not a young man i mean jesus that sounds awful so there's that sort of like, oh, that's interesting. But like, oh, God, you know, I, you know, and it's the same, as I say, with with Roth, you know, the helplessness and misery of like male physicality when it comes to like this endless itch that has to be scratched and the sort of baseness that that it kind of like leads to. Um, and so, you know, that's quite sort of humanizing. So at, at the same time that you have these kind of quite crude depictions of women as being hideous or you know all these reactions that these that charles highway and co have to the women they sleep with amos never loses the sort of incredible physical vulnerability of the human male i mean john self is the same the information is the same even keith talent is kind of you know they're they're all sort of there's a kind of male pathos the more apparently obnoxious the more sad and amos really goes all the way with that and actually kingsley does too Kings, I always say that Kingsley has the most sympathetic, has an incredibly sympathetic cast of female characters. Like he really gets the dynamics and the men are just, you know, obnoxious and tiresome. But, you know, a lot of in the end, the women kind of bring them around. But you, you do get this kind of sense of these quite very bright, but quite pathetic, confused 
men who are who are kind of driven that way partly by their kind of greedy desire and i don't think i i just can't see that in today's young men don't see it we'll get on to today's young men later on but i think you're right would you agree that amos is very good at capturing this cycle of lust disappointment shame anger yeah and where he's charged with misogyny as kingsley was as well what a lot of people seem to miss is that that hatred or that resentment is always born out of failure yeah absolutely you've just put it really well that's what keeps it a cut above uh, like a brett easton ellis or a or god forbid the kind of hideous characters coming out of the manosphere today the sort of more swaggering yeah resentment, it's, it's, it's really cocksure. not yeah at the end of the day it's actually you could call it misandry but delivered by a man who has the most incredible descriptive faculties and and probably a lot of emotional intelligence frankly i mean i don't know what he was like in real life but i mean god's like the play of character and landscape and his comic sense quite unique the rich papers opens my name is charles highway though you wouldn't think it to look at me it's such a rangy well-traveled big cocked name and to look at i am none of these things i wear glasses for a start have done since i was nine and my medium-length, arseless, wasteless figure, corrugated ribcage and bandy legs, gang up to dispel any hint of aplomb. The self-loathing's there from the word go. Right, and it's not exactly... He's no kinder to, to him and male, and male bodies than he is to female bodies. And he, he would objectify himself and degrade himself if he could, but he does, he does it to women, I suppose. What did you think of Charles Highway? I mean, there's one thing that Amos said in a, an interview shortly after the Rachel Papers was published that this is about sex and scholarship, this novel, essentially. And he says that the best way to summarize Charles Highway is that he is sexual about scholarship and scholarly about sex. Did you find it attractive or just annoying that the character of Charles Highway is so deeply entrenched in that need to develop a unique style of conceptualizing the world, conceptualizing women? I mean, he's mitigating a lot of experience through academia and the written word mm. and almost writing footnotes to his life as he goes yeah. so that he can refer back to them he's sort of creating a bibliography of how to do life isn't he there's a sort of several things going on there there's amos's own literary device about having a character that is being that's treating his own life through a, the lens of a literary or scholarly device then there's the kind of funny playful ironic side of it the poking fun at people who do that and the kind of poking fun at and then there's also the sort of capturing of the fact that someone who's seeing things, a young, arrogant man who is trying to exercise his brain as well as his penis, ends up in kind of quite ludicrous, kind of um, rigid heuristics, perhaps, that um, for all his posturing, maybe don't give him as realistic or incisive a analysis of life as he thinks um and that probably rachel has more insight than he does i mean that's that's always the kingsley um endpoint the you know these these posturing spluttering men who think they know everything and then they know nothing and the women actually who who are constantly downtrodden and have treated like crap turn out to have like thousands of times more insight wisdom and in some, many cases intelligence um but i like i think it's clever it's ambitious it's a fun conceit i think you know nowadays it would be considered far too elitist to have the sort of Oxford scholar wannabe who's, it's such a clear contest between sex and uh, his concentration on exams and stuff. And it, it is so similar to, to Amos based on the small amount I read of experience. I have to read out this part here because speaking about Dead Babies, the novel that followed the Rachel Papers with Sam Leith, 
the subject of teeth came up then, as it seems to come up in most of Amos's novels. And Sam was pretty insistent that the teeth obsession wasn't really there at the beginning of Amos's work and that it only comes in later on. But here, where Charles Highway says, take, for example, my mouth, literally a shambles. My milk teeth wouldn't go away. They just curdled although politely moving over to accommodate my grown-up ones. At the age of 10, I must have had more teeth in my head than the average dentist's waiting room. Soon, I used to think, they'll be coming out of my nose. Then months of high-powered surgery involving metal strips, nuts, clips, bolts, you name it. For two years, I went about the place with a mouth like a Meccano set. That's just to prove yeah. Sam Lee's wrong about that. Absolutely. <laughs> but moving on to the part when you read it, did you feel like you were learning anything London Fields hadn't told you about male desire was this getting to ground zero of amos's yeah, way of think, writing about sex i think it, it was a bit like ground zero because i think i probably intuited that this was this had to be at least sort of if not autobiographical then like archetypal of a particular male mindset obviously exaggerated for the purposes of art but it was my first amos that was just kind of completely focused on on sex basically uh, from the male perspective Whereas London Fields felt like much more of like a sort of urban tapestry mystery, you know, it was much more creative. I remember being surprised that Rachel Papers felt much less creative, both in London Fields and Money, kind of much more straight shooting and streamlined. You know, I, I just thought, oh, yeah, wow, no, this is this is this is racy stuff. But like, I like racy stuff. Bring it on. Is there a passage from the novel? that perhaps we can uh, yeah. turn to now? I think the passages that I m may choose are ones that m maybe some women would find offensive. And I'm choosing them for their kind of forensic detail. And it does mix a bit of crudeness, but it also has honesty. Anyway, Gloria. I imagine that the older man thinks it's going to be hell and is often agreeably surprised to find that it's not quite, not quite as bad as he had such excellent reasons to fear. With the youngster, the very reverse is true. Gloria and I undressed like lifeguards and without actually separating. I always forgot the full drama of the change that came over her the minute she was underway. In normal circumstances, with her embarrassment in any kind of pre-coital conversation, her unassumingly pretty face, the stiff-limbed movements, you were a plaything of her unease. Once underway, though, Gloria would have been able to detect few noteworthy points of contrast between sexual arousal and rabies. That bit I like because it it's just lovely prose, and he can, and and it already sets the tone for the fact that this is actually a girl, a woman who has a lovely time having sex as well. It's not actually a one sided thing. It's this kind of teenage glee, and then you know we get into the male perspective. It wasn't that bad as I remember. Not significantly worse than usual. Fifteen, maybe twenty minutes of trying not to come, with a beady dread of what was going to happen when I did. A descent, i.e. perceptible orgasm, a further two or three minutes in garroted detumescence. Cock attains regulation minimum and is supplanted by well-manicured thumb. Gloria has another five orgasms and so it ends. I roll over. My thumb looks as though it has been <laughs> for a four-hour swim, grey, puffy, dappled where I've eaten bits of it in the past. My alarm clock claims it's only 10.15. I wish I were back in Oxford. It's rollicking, isn't it? Yes, it is rollicking, it's honest, it's cheeky, it's daredevil, it doesn't take itself seriously, it doesn't mind if it makes people cringe, you know, he doesn't mind evoking the disgusting features about himself. Yeah, he even writes in this novel, 
Uh, I'm quoting here, surely nice things, and this is, of course, Charles Highway talking the whole time, surely nice things are dull and nasty things are funny. The nastier a thing is, the funnier it gets. That line, again, delivered by the protagonist, seems in retrospect to make sense of Amos's approach to a lot of subject matter. But again, you took a lot of joy in that passage and you say you find it to be a very, as you put it, lovely portrayal of sex because it's mutual. Yeah, it doesn't have this kind of seedy undertone of male exploitation of the woman or she's hating it or she's performing. I mean, she seems completely natural. She's obviously, you know, he makes some effort to show how she's, um, she comes to life in a sexual situation. So, so it's nice. So that, that is a kind of positive, pleasurable aspect. And it feels like it's of its time. There's something amoral and nihilistic about thinking things that are nasty or funny. I actually don't think things that are nasty, some things that are nasty, if they're described in a certain way, you can draw out a sort of black humor. I think Amos has quite a fine moral compass, actually, which he, I think he showed in his subsequent sort of political rants, which, of course, everybody else will disagree with. But, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I, think, he, I think he and Kingsley both do this, where they appear to be being something crass or sexist but actually what they're doing is illuminating the crassness of the character and that's where it's important to remember it's fiction again quoting from your spectator article you wrote i found that young men of post-millennium britain perhaps subject to the very dynamics of late capitalism that so preoccupied amos were more willing to choose comfort and convenience over sex they quailed at the perceived barbs of female personality intimidating was a classic rather than being lured headlong into the promise of a good rack among those who were quick to jump in bed, many simply wilted afterwards under the fear of giving the wrong signals or of inviting the scariest thing of all, feminine neediness. Did the Charles Highways, Keith Talents, and John Selfs of the world worry about signals? No. They worried about filling their boots as long and as much as they could. Can I just commend myself? God, that's like Pulitzer prose that I'm just kidding. But I think, yeah. I'm glad I put it that way. I think I'm. I think I was absolutely right. Just, just a moment of self appreciation there. You were right. The highways, talents, and selves of this world yeah. wouldn't worry about yeah. signals. Of course, Amos is not really an admirer of any of these men. But the point of your article yeah. is that you admire them more than today's young men. Well, I don't admire Keith Talent. Let's be clear. But I enjoyed him as a fictional character. I mean, there's a difference there. But let's get into then what of the Amosian lasciviousness that you write about should return. Well, I think you have to be really careful with this. You know, when you're asking for a return of lasciviousness from the 70s, you're asking for all manner of abuse. Mm. I mean, the, the, on balance, it's a much better age now in the sense that women aren't treated like dirt. They aren't harassed constantly when they try to hail a taxi in front of Houston Station and when they walk down the street at night. It, the, the kind of shit women had to put up with in the 70s and 80s in London and anywhere was absolutely, you know, horrendous. It was completely normal that men would beat their wives or their girlfriends when they were drunk. Completely normal, accepted, not even like cause for leaving someone. So, so I want to be very clear that I would absolutely never want a return to that in exchange for some like desperately horny men. But what I think I like you know, and I think that's actually it's connected, isn't it? Because part of the reason that there's been a cooling in male ardor, which there definitely has been, you know, ardor, at least in the passion sense. I mean, there might be like still the same biological need to masturbate or like, to, you know, whatever. But the sort of follow through in the way that it, it was. But that has come with a rise of more interest in things like consent, I suppose. So in having a better, more equal, more aware culture you know the idea that it stopped being 
a social norm that is basically accepted to treat women like shit unless you happen to not treat them like shit or unless they physically stop you from treating them like shit. With that has obviously come a general intensification of like control given especially post me too i mean it's given that like open lasciviousness is now not really considered okay you could get sued you know you could get fired any number of bad things could happen to you other men might condemn you it's it's just and so that culture of lasciviousness was the broader culture in which these young men had this kind of rampant desire and now we simply don't have that culture of lasciviousness which is Makes it more relaxing to kind of wander around. But I, I do think we've, you know, it's a bit boring, to be honest. Like, if people misunderstand that, I'm sorry, like, women do like being ogled. You don't like being made to feel uncomfortable or pursued or stared at obsessively by someone gross. But, like, a cat call or two, as long as it's not too intimidating, is, is nice. And, I mean, I know women who are, like, pretty self-respecting, but they, especially South American women... They get very offended if they're not being catcalled or like ogled or, you know, it's, it's like a form of, you know, it's, it, so we have lost some of that. Then in terms of the actual passion levels, I don't know. They seem to have disappeared. Like, I don't know how you met your wife, but like I did some app dating from about 36 to 38. And I mean, it is unbelievably difficult to pin someone down, uh, yeah, a, a man down for a date. I never got onto Tinder or, right. or any sort of online dating. And so mm. I'm forever asking people, as I'm asking you now, what is it that grates most? It's like you need a freaking PhD in patience just to kind of get someone to make a plan and then turn up. And if they do, you know, you, you're expecting them to cancel right up until the last minute because of phones. Obviously, that's all changed. And you just think, wow, like sex or the promise of sex is really low on their list of motivations. It's really low. That's mm. the only thing you can conclude. And what do you think is highest on their list of priorities? What are dating apps really for, do you think? It's a really good question. I think, therefore, a kind of initial twitch of desire to kind of interact. Because um, people don't like to be lonely. They like to interact. But the follow-through is gone because... It's everything's so fragmented and like there's so many different avenues of chat now on you know so why would you kind of put in all the effort to kind of follow something all the way through especially if your attention and notions of like sticking to what you say you're going to do are underdeveloped because of the time you've grown up in in terms of like why they're so relaxed about sex itself I don't know. I wonder if something in the culture has basically made sex more trouble than it's worth. You see, I think that the character of Charles Highway, though you place him in contrast to young men of today, would absolutely thrive in the online dating world for the simple fact that, like I said earlier, he relishes putting a lot of distance between him and reality. He relishes conceptualizing and, and making sex academic. Yeah. I wonder whether what we have today is a dating scene that is abstracted to a point where the actual act of sex, the doing of the deed, is less important than the concept of it. Yeah. And, and there's a safe distance that is about, as you say, the twitch and the frisson, but not sex. I think that's an interesting postmodern internet point you've just made about is it, is it actually sex qua subject? I suppose what I get confused about is that I thought sex is supposed to have a sort of... People say it has a biological component. 
So why is it just as satisfactory to masturbate or whatever it is that porn or virtual reality enables you to do as to have that close physical contact? Because they're actually not interchangeable. So is it the case that humans have suddenly stopped desiring close physical contact? I mean, that seems odd to me. I think in just the same way that Charles Highway likes to intellectualize sex, the intellectualizing of sex has become the lingua franca of online dating. It exists more in the mind than it does in reality. Yeah, no, no, I think that's true. But Charles Highway was able to do both. And I wanted to bring that in, the fact that after all the reading up on sex, after all of the coquettish pages he leaves for Gloria or Rachel to find in his bathroom, etc., there is, of course, sex at the end of it. You're a man. When you're reading the Rachel papers, does, the, does Charles Highway's experience sound familiar to you? Yeah, well, as I say, when I read the Rachel papers, I was 17 and yeah. I, was, I was at the perfect age at which to supposedly identify with Charles but Highway. did you identify? What about the sheer urge? Yeah, absolutely. So that's still real, you think? That's still there. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Because this is what I, then, you can't then, tell as a woman, really. I think men are as horny as ever. Yeah. I just think that in the age of, they have other ways of 21st century it, pornography, yeah, yeah, OnlyFans, yeah. there are people out there who satisfy sexual desire in such a cerebral way that touch becomes the icing on the cake. Yeah, but that's so that's 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 what I that's what I was wondering about, but I that that doesn't that makes me sad. I mean, the Charles Highway or a, that's not going to cut it. They want the physical experience. They don't they wouldn't even consider making their peace with someone that just made them come. Well, exactly. They you can never do that they, that's pay, you know, that was always considered like a CD second best, you know, or third best. Charles Highway never describes some kind of sordid fantasy to the reader. He describes what he'd like to do with this person. Right. These guys they want the physical they want the physical woman. That's what they want. Um and I and I suppose that's what makes me sad if that era I don't want to be interchangeable with a with an OnlyFans paid for service or a replica girlfriend. I mean I I'd rather be I'd rather a man could distinguish between my physical body as a physical body and a and an OnlyFans. And this is the question you're basically saying you're not 100% sure that, that they are able to do that anymore. Well, I guess it comes down to the question of how much is sex psychological? If sex is only partly physical and mostly a meeting of two minds in erotic communion, this is where a parasocial relationship between an online model and a customer <laughs> can be more erotic. And that's what I think is concerning about the world we live in now. Well, I mean, it's great if that satisfies them. Maybe there's just an anatomical difference between female experience and male experience because women, I suppose, have two different entry points for orgasm. Like, I think there are two for men too. Well, huh? if you go anal, yeah. But I mean, it's less, you're not going to pleasure yourself. Maybe men pleasure themselves anally all the time. I, I've, I haven't heard of that. But with women, it's just more obvious. Like one of them is like you do, you know, and the other is, in, you know, coming from having the man or a man-shaped thing. And so they produce completely different feelings. They're not interchangeable at all. Like it's completely different. The feeling you get from physical. I mean, I don't know how lesbians do it, actually. I suppose they use like AIDS. But um, if I could choose between a life of like seizure-like orgasms from my own hand stimulated, but, you know, yeah, it's really intense, but mm. I still would prefer a sexual reaction, which is still good and, you know, fulfilling, you know, an orgasm, whatever, from sex, because it's just, it's just like a completely different kettle of fish. So maybe there is an anatomical difference between the feeling of having 
something go in versus go into something else. I don't know. It's possible. But I, I, don't, I just don't think most women would think that they were interchangeable. I can't speak for the young men of today. I'm 35. Yeah. So before I go any further, I would say that my time was where the most lascivious and celebrated sex symbol in popular culture was Russell Brand. And we all know now how that turned out. Yes, but was that all noise? Or, you know, when you're reading, did you have a deep personal connection with the kinds of yearning desires, the sort of desperate desires of the Roths and the Amoses, these male experiences that I glommed onto and thought were like in some way representative? Like it was, it was like familiar enough to you, the sort of endless plotting about sex, the endless obsession with it, the kind of all that stuff. Yeah, Martin Nemesis' point about Charles Highway being scholarly about sex, I don't think I ever went to that degree, and I don't think that most men who are intellectually curious and interested in sex do either. And that's where I think, again, Martin Nemesis' flair for exaggeration comes in. He took the kind of intellectual young man, very determined to get his end away, and exaggerated every facet of that man that could be. I mean, the thing that I remember from being young horny and bookish was that a lot of women were attracted to that but they but they saw through it too yeah you know they would make fun of you and get you to see that you were trying too hard and that was important i think there are moments in the rachel papers where charles highway is called up for being a bit of a pompous prick yeah he knows that he is a work in progress. He's painfully aware of it. But I certainly see him being more a reflection of Amos mm. than I realized at the time. Which brings me to the last passage that you could read oh, yeah. from the book. Well, I just, I just choose this one because here we get the machinations. He's playing the game. He's manipulating her. And it's, it's transparent to the reader. But obviously it's, it's, it's a kind of, it's an act. And I like that because that's what so much of dating and trying to get what you want is about it's about it's like a puzzle how can you kind of make get the or, or formula how can you kind of put input the right stuff to get what out what you want and it doesn't you know it, it sounds quite mean but it's also again quite kind of revealing yeah so i guess he's on his way back with rachel from somewhere hoping to have sex with her on the way back i entertained rachel and kept things going with an account of my own sexual history now i had had 10 girls i considered double <laughs> I considered doubling, even squaring this figure. I ended up having it. All five, I stress, had been important and serious relationships. I was sorry, but I had no time for the other kind. Excuse me, but I wasn't interested in purely sexual encounters, thank you. Although it was true, one hated to say it, that most of the boys I knew were interested in precious little else. No, perhaps that wasn't fair. Of course I had tried it, more out of curiosity than anything I supposed. It was odd, but... I don't know. It seemed that a girl's body was empty unless you liked its owner. Sure, the incredibly beautiful girls in these experimental liaisons had got in a bit of a state, what with being so incredibly sexed up at the time. Understandable. One or two, I didn't mind telling her, had got pretty violent, pretty ugly about the whole thing. But I had had just to explain myself as tactfully as possible. No, hell, they could keep their money. A boy can't fake it. What was good sex? Well, good sex had nothing to do with expertise, how many French tricks one knew, how convincingly you munched on each other's stools, etc. No, if there was affection and enthusiasm, that was enough. With a heartbeat like a drum roll, I led Rachel down the stairs, past the bathroom to the bedroom. It smelled to me of every sock I had taken off, all the earwax I had pasted under its furniture, each bogey I had swiped across its walls, and the bouquets of cheap talc puffed into the air to disguise these. A low legacy, perhaps. 
or my own stressed senses. Rachel generously took off her coat while I subdued the lighting by means of a cotton scarf over the desk lamp. We sat on the floor next to the fire and sipped the wine I had brought down. The pink glow flattered us. It made Rachel look extra-oriental, softening her features, ironing out the nose, giving her eyes a distant luminousness. You wouldn't call it a twinkle, exactly. In strong contrast, my face became even more angular and shadowy, more hollow and sinister, my jawline more haunting somehow, my mouth, if anything, still more sensual. Let's get it over with, I thought. Oh, Charles Highway, able to describe his own face yes. in such detail. The narcissist that he yes. is. Zoe Strimple, yeah. it's been an absolute delight to speak to you. We may have you on again in some form to debate some of the points that we've raised with other guests if we ever get there, because it seems that, and it was inevitable, that there were always going to be conflicting feelings and interpretations and views that I think probably listeners would like cracked open at some point. Oh, that's funny. I mean, you must, yes, this is a, this is a very particular listenership that doesn't mind a joust over Nicola Six and her convincingness. But yeah, it'd be a pleasure. So thank you. Mm-hmm. 